Welcome to the anointed and transformational teaching ministry of Pastor Wale Akinshiku, Senior Pastor of House of Praise Mississauga, Canada, a parish of the redeemed Christian Church of God. It is our prayer that as you listen to this message, you will be empowered to achieve your dreams and fulfill your destiny. God bless you as you listen. So I want to talk about the power of stewardship. So let's start from Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, very quickly. Matthew, the 6th chapter and the 33rd verse. Jesus was speaking in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. And he laid out, maybe we should start from verse 22, 32. He said, after all these things, the Gentiles seek. But you, okay, he says, so he said, but your heavenly father knows that you have need of these things. So Jesus is basically saying there are two categories of people here now, right now, for as, as far as this particular statement is concerned. So he said there are Gentiles and there are you, 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 my own people, my own disciples. So he says in verse 33, don't seek those things that the Gentiles are seeking. In verse 33, he said, and let me show you how your, what your priority should be. Your priority should be the kingdom of God. That does not mean you don't need those things the Gentiles are seeking. He said, but there's a better way. If you seek the first the kingdom of God, those things will be added to you. But if you seek first those things, you will lose the power you lose the power. This is a very, very important thing we have to understand. So please understand this. Stewardship is maturity. Maturity leads to power and trustment. Stewardship is maturity. Stewardship is maturity. The more mature you are as a Christian, the more you don't ask, what can God just do for me? You also ask, what can I do for the kingdom of God? You know, uh, you know I'm sure you probably caught a, a glimpse of the, um, the set is the most popular series uh, of the um, CNN originals, um, the Kennedys, you know, and, and, and as part of that, that, you know, you saw JFK at his inaugural speech making that powerful statement that is the statement that everybody remembers about JFK. Do not think of what your country will do for you. Ask yourself, what can you do for your country? It's taken from this inspiration that Jesus taught. Jesus thought about this 2,000 years ago. Don't think only of what will God do for me. What can God do for me? Will God answer my prayer? Also think, what can I do for the kingdom of God? What contribution can I make in the kingdom of God? Seek first the kingdom. That is the route to power. So Jesus taught his disciples seeking first the kingdom. Then in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1, the Bible says he called them now together and he gave them power. Would the people he came back to call together, look at it now. When he had called his 12 disciples, not everybody, not everybody, he now gave them power. And we've got to speak about this thing as we move on uh, in, this, in this series. So you have to understand that stewardship is maturity. Maturity is what allows God to trust you with power, to trust you with power. So power of stewardship. I like the statement Jesus made in the book of John chapter 10 and the 18 verse. He said, nobody takes it from me. I have power to lay it down, and I also have power to pick it up. There's power in stewardship. There's tremendous power in stewardship. Tremendous power in stewardship. You see, the power in stewardship is the power that keeps us safe. It is the power that propels us to make progress. It is the power that God gives us to have dominion over the enemy. Perhaps I should start by saying this to you. The end time church which is, of course, we're talking about, when we say the end time church, we're talking about the church in these days before Jesus comes, okay? Because we're moving closer and closer. Obviously, we don't know when Jesus will come in second coming, you know, literally. We don't know. Nobody here on earth today knows. However, we do know this. We are closer to that day today than Apostle Paul was 2,000 years ago. That we know. 
But we don't know the exact date. But we know that we're closer to the date today than it was 2,000 years ago. Do you agree with me? All right. So if that's the case then, so we are in the latter days. We are in the latter days. Peter said that to us. Peter told us we were in the latter days. In Acts chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, when he was quoting Joel, he said this is what Joel was spoken of. This is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days. So Peter was preaching in Acts chapter 2, and they called it the last days. That was 2,000 years ago. How much more now? If that was the last days, this is definitely um, later than that. Is that right? All right. So in these last days, then, what is it that God wants to do? You have to understand some things. So let's, let's look at some things. God wants to distinguish the church. He wants to use, let me say this to you. God's plan in these last days is to use you. Oh, please understand what I'm about to say now. He's to use you as an example. He wants to basically have a church that makes a statement. There are people that are individuals that God wants to use to make a statement of prosperity. God wants to use somebody to make a statement of health. God is going to use somebody to make a statement of longevity. You see, God wants to use somebody to make a statement of peace. God wants to use us collectively to make a statement to the enemy. We get to understand that this is God's plan for these end times. This is this end times is not about argument over doctrines. It's not about argument over religious positions. It is about about the projection of power, about results. It's about results on the ground. Somebody is asking, "Where is God?" You know, you know when when Moses showed up. God is the one that told Moses. God is the one that told Moses. And this is the first mention of the word miracle in the Bible. Exodus chapter 7 verse 9. God told Moses, Pharaoh will ask you, show yourself a miracle. Look at it. God says, when Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, show yourself a miracle. God says, I know. That's what Pharaoh will say. Pharaoh will not say, what is your doctrine? Pharaoh will not ask, what's your denomination? Pharaoh will not ask, what church do you go to? Pharaoh will not ask, where's your parish? Pharaoh will say, show yourself a miracle. And you can't show yourself a miracle if you, ha- you have not met with God. You must have met with God. You must have seen a miracle. A bush on fire that is not consumed before you can show a miracle. This is the first mention of the word miracle in the whole Bible. So this is the point I'm trying. In this end times, Pharaoh is a type of the devil. In this end times, Satan is also asking. He's not asking for doctrine. He's not asking for parish name. He's not asking for where your church is or denomination. He's not asking for the name of your pastor. You know, he's asking you, show yourself something supernatural. Show me something. Show me something. That's what he's asking. And God wants to use you to show the enemy something. God used Moses to teach Pharaoh a lesson. God is going to use you to teach principalities and powers lessons. That's why Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 tells us that. It says, now to the intent, to the intent that now, to the intent that now, the manifold wisdom of God may be made known to principalities and power. What this basically means in simple street level language. That's what he wants to do. That's really what that statement is saying. To the intent that now, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. Not by angels. Not by God himself, but by the church. God is saying, I'm too high to fight this battle. See what my kids can do. See what my kids can do. See what my kids can do. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So God wants to use you and I to show them. So let's look at this now. Numbers chapter 24. Let's start from verse 15. But I'm really going to verse 18. Numbers 24. He said, so he took up his oracle. Now, this is Balaam now. Seen into the realm of the spirit, the future of the children of Israel. And I'm going to show you something now. 
He says, this is the utterance of Balaam, the son of Boah. He said, at the utterance of the man whose eyes are open. Come on. The utterance of him who hears the words of God. He who has the knowledge of the Most High. Who sees the vision of the Almighty. Who falls down with his eyes wide open. He said, listen to me. I see him, but I'm not seeing the Israel now. But I'm seeing him, but not now. He's looking at the church now. He said, I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. He, was, he could see that something, you know, the, the wise men came in Matthew chapter 2 verse 2. And what did they say? We have seen in star. So this was a prophecy about Jesus. You know, he was giving a prophecy about Jesus. I see him, a star shall come. And the wise men saw that star and they came. Now listen, but we, you know, Jesus, that was Jesus, right? Physically, here on earth. But we belong to him. We are joined years with him. So if Balaam was seeing Jesus and we are joined years with him, come on, he was seeing you and me. He said, I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out. A scepter shall, a scepter is what the rulers hold to show that they're leaders. The rulers. He said, they shall come out of Israel and batter the bow, the brow of Moab and destroy the sons of Tumult. Look at the next verse. Edom shall be a possession. Seir also in his enemies shall be a possession. <laughs> While Israel does valiantly. Oh, may you do valiantly. Yeah. Keep going. Verse 19, please. He said, I love, I love this. One out of Jacob shall have dominion. That's it. You are going to have dominion. So you can see, right, the intention of God is not for you and I to have a stalemate. Not a stalemate. Not a stalemate that I'm pushing it, it's pushing me. Not something like that. Oh, we're still working on it. What are you working on? One shall have dominion. Shall have dominion. And destroy the remains of the city. That's the city of the enemy. One shall have dominion. What are you going to have? Dominion, dominion means to be in complete control. To be in complete control. Like when the basketball game is going on and you have two teams, and they say one team has completely dominated the other. When the teams are playing each other, one runs out, you know, scores the goal, another one comes and scores the second goal. One scores a three-pointer, this one comes and scores a three-pointer. You can see that the scores are close. But when they say the team is dominating, it's like it's not close at all. 60 points, 50 points difference. It's not close. You know, you watch Olympics and you see the USA playing some teams in Africa. In the Olympics, basketball Olympics, I mean, it's not close at all. When you have all these stars, LeBron James and all these people, you know, you know, you just like Kevin Durant and all these powerful people. You know, just me, when the African team just me, I looks at the man, God, oh my God, LeBron James. In the days of Michael Jordan, oh my God, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, oh God, just touch their body. <laughs> hey, Jordan, hey, Jordan. They just dominate the team, 80 points difference. Four quarters in basketball. By the time Michael Jordan plays the first quarter, he just goes to him. He's already having a shower. Because there's no point. <laughs> you know, that's the way your life should be. You should completely dominate. You should dominate the opponent. You should dominate the enemy. You should fill the whole room. Say amen, please. This is what God wants to use you and I to do. However, the only part. Someone say only part. Say it one more time. Only part. Say it one more time. The only part. The only pathway to it is for you and I to engage in stewardship. It's never, never going to happen with us to worship. That's why Jesus told his disciples, you are struggling to be great. He said, let me show you the way. Only service can make you great. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. The son of man himself did not come to be saved. He came to serve and to sacrifice his life. That's how you can become great. That's how you became great. Don't forget this. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let's start from verse 5, but we're going all the way to 9. It says, let this mind also be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. So, have the same mindset. Okay, what was the mindset in him? He was in the form of God, but he did not consider himself to be 
equal with God. In other words, he didn't look at his level in society. Okay, which is that's what it would mean to, for us today. Okay, he had all the attributes of the Trinity. He had all the attributes of God, but he left everything down. Okay, to come. He said, but he made himself to be of no reputation. In other words, I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm the CEO, but you know what? When I came into church, I was of no reputation. I could be an usher. That's what it means. I could be an usher and be the one to carry the basket and ask people nicely, uh, you want to give an offering? You want to give an offering? I was a CEO, but I was in the traffic department. You know, I'm a very, very well-to-do, very highly influential, well-known person. But you know what? I was in the technical team. You know, I could do that. I made myself of no, no reputation. You know, it took the form of a bond servant. Coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. You know, being found in appearance as a man means, you know, he was among men. He had to take somebody that was descending to say, this is the Lamb of God. In other words, you know, you are so well-to-do, you are so influential, so powerful, that they call a usher's meeting or a prayer meeting or a choir meeting or meeting for individual people, and you're just there, you sit down there. It has to say somebody, say, ah, do you know that who that man is? Do you really know who that woman is? Do you know that that woman is a highly influential? Look at the way she's just sitting down there, just quietly and gently. But she's a highly influential, very, very well-to-do person. But you're quiet. You don't walk into the meeting. 30 minutes into the meeting. Say, hey, hi, everybody. You've been waiting for me. <laughs> you, know, you don't bring your reputation into the church department. You don't bring your reputation into the church department. So the Bible says he was obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Now look at it. Oh, I like it. Therefore. Just that's it. That's it. Therefore. You know, therefore should be in your life. In theology, when you get to the word therefore, they tell you in theology, when you see a verse or the word therefore in theology, it means that you should leave, you should stop reading that verse. This is what they tell us in theology. When you get to the point therefore, you should stop reading that verse and go to the preceding verses. Because that therefore is telling you that that thing is there for some reason. So you have to look for the reason why it is there. So, and if you run into, while you're going up and you're reading, if you run into another therefore, you leave it. You go up again. Because it is there for a reason. You have to look for the reason. So, in other words, this is not the cause. This is the effect. This is the fruit. There's a root. So, look for the root. So, the root is what I've just read for you now. But it says, because he did all of that, therefore, God has highly exalted him. Which basically is telling you that you can't turn this into a prayer point. Um, <laughs> you can't take this now and turn it to a prayer point. Oh God, highly exalt me. Oh God, move me up. Oh God, no, 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 no. You have to do what he did. You can say to yourself, Lord, give me the grace. Give me the mindset that Jesus had. Empower me to serve. That's a prayer point. Once you do that, there will also be therefore. You know. So what... what <laughs> when people are looking at other people's life, what they are seeing, what we call testimonies, is the... Therefore, yeah, that's what they say. They see our therefores, but they don't have our mindset. So you haven't copied somebody's mindset, you're looking at their therefores. So you see the powerful testimonies happening in their life. That's their therefores. And that testimony is there for a reason. So ask, what is the seed of this testimony? Because there's something they've done. Some of them have served and served and served and served. And served in different categories. So obviously what you're seeing right now is there for I just told you right now, by the grace of the Almighty God, I'm standing here, there, 12 noon every day to the end of the year. 
I started standing here from the 2nd of November till the end of the year is exactly 60 days. I'm standing here. Standing here 12 noon. 60 days. Now, there's going to be a therefore. There have to be. No, there have to be a therefore. There have to be a therefore. Now, somebody else might not understand when they see the therefore. But they have to understand that that therefore is there for a reason. It's there for a reason. So when the fast is called in church and you say to yourself, you don't care what is going on, it doesn't matter to you, you that is the time when you increase your acceleration to break fast places. <laughs> don't worry about that. That's okay. Just understand that, you know, you have to understand something about champions. The decision about your future is not made in your future. The decision about your future is made in your today. What will happen next year? It's not going to, it's not next year the decision will be made. It's made now. It's made now. You have to arrest the morning. So it's there for a reason. Service. So kingdom service is what exalts you. Now, why, what makes kingdom service? What makes it powerful? How, how can we? Because Jesus made a statement that baffled me in the book of Matthew chapter 9. Sorry, Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Let's start from 37. Matthew chapter 10, 37, 38, 39. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, he who loves father or mother more than me, he's not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me, ha, he's not worthy of me. Am I reading this that right? Let's see who made this statement. Let's go, let's start from 35. Let's see who made this statement. Uh, this is Jesus, right? Speaking. You agree with Jesus? You know, if you keep on going up, but because of our time, you'll see that it's Jesus. So let's get back to verse 38 then. Jesus is the one speaking here now. It's Jesus is speaking and he's telling us that you can't afford to love your parents or your children more than him. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Verse 39. He who finds his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake won't happen. Now, so let me, let me explain this to you. Let me explain some of this to you. But before I explain this to you, let me show you John chapter 12, verse 26. John chapter 12, verse 26. This is what it says. If anyone serves me, Jesus is speaking, let him follow me. Where I am, my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, let him, my father, will do what? Will honor. So let me combine these scriptures and tell, show you what it's saying. If you go back to verse 6, what is saying? God is not saying, and I want to repeat, God is not saying that we should not honor our parents or we should not love them. God is actually saying that we should honor our parents, we should love our parents, we should minister substance to our parents, we should always honor our parents. God is saying that. And God is telling us that the first commandment that comes with a promise is honor your father and your mother. Are you still with me now? All right. So that you can be well with you and your days may be long. All right. However, what God is saying is this. If your love for your parents is on this level, your love for him must be higher than that. If you increase your love for your parents to this level, your love for him must be higher. If you love your children a lot, that one, we don't need to encourage you. You love your children a lot, God is saying, however, your love for him must be higher. You shall have no other God before me. It's still a key commandment to God. God still wants to take first place in your life. Anything you love more than God is an idol. That's the principle. So that's the principle. It's the principle of idolatry. Anything you love more than God, including your job, including your family, is an idol. So what does this mean in practical terms? Does that mean I should sleep in church? No. Does not mean you should sleep in church? So let's balance this. What this is saying is this. Please listen very carefully. What this is saying is this. This is saying that 
Anytime you have to make a decision concerning anything in your life, the values of the teaching of Jesus Christ must take precedence. Whatever Jesus has said, because to love Jesus is to obey his word. Do we agree? Whatever Jesus has said must take precedence in that area. And I will give you some examples in a few minutes. But this is tough sometimes. I must let you know it's tough. For example, Jesus said, don't overcome, don't, sorry, the Bible teaches and says, don't, or don't repay evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. That's tough. That's really tough. Because not only are the days evil, there are people that are evil. And the natural inclination, the natural tendency is that they do evil. You give them twice the size of the evil. You're not listening. You're too spiritual on this side. These people on this side, they're getting, they're understanding me. Can, we, can I level with you? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, I was buying gas this morning at the Shell station just down the road here. This morning, I was trying to buy gas. And as I was buying the gas, trying to pay for the gas. Now, you won't make fun of me, right? What I'm about to say. No, no, no. Yeah. Anyway, I was, uh, let me leave that part of the story. So I was buying gas. So I was just trying to, and it was taking a bit of time because I had three different cards. Don't make fun of me. I just had three different cards to pay for the gas. Don't ask me how. <laughs> <laughs> the gas cards. So I've used one here. $18 was left. Here, $15 was left. Here, $20 was left. So when I got to the man, I put the three cards on the table. I threw. I said to the man, I said, please, check how much is on each and use all the cards first before I use my internal card. It's the card you gave me now. Why are you looking at me this strange? <laughs> That's what you gave me now. $18, $14, $15 inside the thing. <laughs> so, so that's what you gave me now. So anyway, so anyway, the man did all of that. I filled my tank. So the man did all of So while he was doing that, there was, you know, he was, he was, um, he was busy and he was getting a little bit tense. One woman just came in. Two last so just this morning. Just opened it up. And just started swearing. Swearing at the man, swearing at you, swearing at everything. And I was the only one with the man there. Just swearing. And the man said, the man was pointing to him like, no, 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 you have to pay for diesel at the pump there. You know, it's prepaid. The woman started shouting, do you expect me to, everybody in this country to have a credit card? Do you expect everybody, why? So, so, why? I, they were fighting each other. So I was just pushing my car to the man, please, I need to go and preach. Get me out of this place, Holy Spirit. <laughs> Get me out of this place. The woman, the woman was, she was, she was furious. She left, she, she left, to, went to the pump. I don't know what she did at the pump. She was coming back again. By this time, this man had finished using all my cards. I paid for it. I was now about to go out. I was the Holy Spirit, help me with this woman. <laughs> so, but I now remember the scripture, overcome evil with God. So, I opened the door for her to come in. I opened the door for the woman, and I smiled. You know what she said? She smiled back, and she said, oh, thank you. That's what she said. This thing works. She said, oh, thank you. Stepped, be, be, you, know, you know, I was going, so she's, I mean, she said behind me, she started the call again with the man. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I closed the door gently, I ran into my car. <laughs> I ran into my own car. Continue, continue. Because, because you know, when, when she came in initially, and she spoke harshly to the man, the man gave it to her. The man gave it to her. So I said, hey. So me, when I just saw I just obeyed the Bible. <laughs> and it worked. He smiled back to me, greeted me, and continued the fight with the man. I don't know how it ended. <laughs> but I know that the Bible principle works. As angry, as livid as she was, she still smiled back. You can overcome evil with good. You can overcome evil with good. Now, how do we do this? Because it's not, it's not natural. 
It's not natural. That's why Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says, the Holy Spirit has shed abroad in our heart something that is supernatural. That supernatural thing is called the love of God. It's not love that can be generated in the natural. This love is not affection. This love is not affection. This love is not sentiments. This love is not sympathy. This love is not empathy. This is unconditional love. This is selfless love. This is dying love. This is dying for somebody else to live. That's what it means. This is taking the pain so that somebody else can take the gain. That's what Jesus did. The only powerful thing about agape love is that it doesn't, once you pay a price for somebody else to live, you don't die. You also live. So you need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit to shed abroad in our heart this love of God. When you and I give our lives to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into us. This love is there, but it's dormant. We need to start working in it and growing and renewing our mind to allow the Holy Spirit to have full expression. Someone say full expression. Yeah, because you know why? Every other thing in Christianity will not work when there's no love. Faith works by love. Every other thing works by love. Purpose in life. You know, I have not seen, ears have not heard, neither has it entered the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. All things work together for good. You know, for those who are called according to his purpose, those who love him, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God himself manifests himself to those who love him. So it's a very important thing. How then, on practical terms, do we express our love for God? Four things quickly. Number one. Number one. Practically serve God in a functional way. Functional. Functional service. Quickly, quickly. Functional service. Functional service basically means do something functional in church that can help. Do something functional in the kingdom. You know, whether you move chairs. You don't have to be, a, a, you know, a worker and you sign the form. You might not have the time to do that. But we're calling for volunteers, for example, for Open Heavens. And, and thank God for, your, for you. We had a lot of you guys last, last week. So uh, they, told, they told me that we're good with that, you know. But, you know, we want to move something from here to here. We want to do some volunteer. <coughs> volunteer. Please don't be an armchair Christian. Don't be an armchair Christian. It's dangerous. It's very dangerous. It's not good. You're going to serve. It, your, 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 your safety is in your service. Okay? So, practical. Practical. So, that's the number one. Number two, giving. 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 You've got to be a steward. I'll talk about that a bit more uh, later on. But it's important for us to understand that our stewardship is very critical. Our giving is very critical. As a matter of fact, the way God really measures our love for him in terms of stewardship, one key area is in our giving. Jesus said that in himself. Look at it then. In Luke chapter 16, let's start from verse 10. Luke 16, verse 10, but I think it's really in verse 11. Luke 16, verse 10. He who is faithful in what is least is also faithful in much. What is least unjust is also unjust in so much. Next verse. This is where I'm going. If you are not faithful in mammon, which is he's talking about money, okay? Who's going to commit true, true riches into your hands? Who's going to con- commit true riches into your hands when you're not faithful with your money? When you don't pay your tithe, you don't give an offering. So what we, don't, what we don't understand is that in our not giving, we are actually denying ourselves an opportunity of a therefore. And that therefore is the true riches. By the special grace of the Almighty God, by the special grace of the Almighty God, I don't make a boast. I'm making a confession in line with the word of God that tells me that he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High God shall abide under the shadow of Almighty God. That tells me that I died and yea, my life is hidden in Christ Jesus. There's nobody that can kill me anymore. <clears throat> nobody. Nobody can kill me anymore. No, all the witches in the world can come together. They can't kill me. They can't kill me because to kill me, they have to kill Jesus first. Hallelujah. 
My life is hidden in him. You know, when you have to break into a vote, vote in the bank, you have to break through the front door or back door or some roof. Uh, I'm hidden in Jesus. I'm hidden in the vote. I'm hidden, I'm hidden in Jesus. So you have to break it. Uh, so, so that one is settled. But it's only settled because I, I, I paid the price of the unrighteous mammon and true riches. See, these true riches are things that you can't see with the physical eyes. That's where Esau missed it. Esau actually used his true riches to buy physical food. Whereas Jacob used a physical food to buy the true riches. Too many Christians today are using their, physic, their, their true riches to possess their physical things instead of the other way around. So when we do give, when we do give, we are proving to God that we have conquered my mom, that we're not serving him. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says, you can't serve the two. You can't serve the two. And until a Christian is at a point whereby they can lay down their tithe to God, they have not yet fully trusted God. So in our giving, number three, how do we show practical service to God? Witnessing to other people. Reaching out to other people. The love of God was born in your heart so much that you don't want people to burn in hell. You don't want to burn in hell. You got to let them know. You got to talk to them. You know, some people are making fun a bit. And when I first heard the story, because I didn't know he was a Christian, you know, the guy that went to the um, remote island where they said there were 50 or 60 people only, where they don't wear clothes, and they shot him with an arrow and killed him. You know, when I first heard the story, I thought it was like um, um, Wen Bog guy, the guy that went to Korea, that said he was, he, uh, he was going for tourism. And the North Korean leader picked him up and killed him. I said, what, what are you looking for? What kind of tourism is that? But this guy says he wants to take Christianity there. So some people are making fun of him and say, why did he go there? You have to understand that it's a matter. It's a matter. His blood was shed for Jesus Christ. That blood is not wasted. I said to the top, I said, the way this thing works, the grand plan of God. You see, that place is a major stronghold of the enemy. But there cannot be entrance until there's a shed of blood. And that boy, that boy shed, you will see, in the next two to three years now, you will see that place will open up to the gospel. To open up the gospel. Yeah. Af- the whole of Africa was like that before. You know, but people died. Many of, the, many of the people in England, that the missionaries that came, they all died at the shore. They, many died at the shore. Many, many, many died because of things that the Africans released. Many of them. Many of them. You, you, think, you think, you know, you know when we read in African history, we read about a woman called Mary Slessor. Mary Slessor was the one in African history that stopped the killing of twins in a particular part of Nigeria. They were just, when they see twins, they just believe they were demonic and they killed them. This is true, true life story in history, right? Yes. Mary Slessor. All right. But you have to understand, she was not the first person that mentioned it. Check history. There were a lot of people that started this, the, the move, but they didn't survive it because those people got at them. But Mary Slessor came at the end of the chain to stop. Do you understand? Just like William Wilberforce came at the end of the chain to stop slave trade. But there were a lot of people that died. You think Nelson Mandela was the first person that rose up against appetite? He wasn't the first person. There are many people that died. He was just the last part of it, okay, that, 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 that fought for that freedom. So it's the same thing. You can't talk about the Barack Obama imaging, okay, as the president of the U.S. without talking of Rosa Parks, without talking of Martin, Martin Luther King Jr. So do you have to understand some people have died for this thing. So if Martin Luther King Jr. did not die, Obama, there's no way Obama will be there. So somebody has to shed their blood. If Stephen did not die, there would be no Apostle Paul. Check the scriptures. So witnessing to other people, how, when was the last time you spoke to somebody about Christ and spoke to somebody about a church? Or are you the one that is hanging out with your unbeliever, unbeliever friends and speaking negatively about church? Finally, number four, obeying God's word in your personal life. Just live right. 
Just live right. In your personal life, just live right. You know what the right thing to do? Just do the right thing. Don't live in the same house with your boyfriend. Don't live in the same house with your boyfriend. Don't, don't live in the same house with your girlfriend. Some say, well, well, pastor, we're just kind of, kind of like trying to be economical, you know, save some costs. Like rent is kind of like $1,500. And instead of us paying $1,500, $1, you know, $3,000 in the month, just kind of like stay together. We're going to marry anyway, pastor. It's kind of like all come together. No, it's not all coming together. It's all, it's all scattering. It's not all coming together. We've got to understand that. This is what God says. He says, let's follow what God says. It's not hard. It's not hard. Someone said, well, it's that the Bible tells us it's not hard. It says his commandments are not cumbersome. It's for our benefit. Do you agree it's for our benefit? You know, we just really, I mean, when God said, when, 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 you know, I, I say, so for example, now, New Living Translation, New Living Translation, um, Proverbs chapter 20. Let's look at it. Ah, let's close with this. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. New Living Translation, quickly. Uh-huh. Huh? Uh. When wine produces what? Uh. Alcohol does all. Uh -huh. Okay, read the rest. They cannot be. That's what they, I didn't write this. He said, You are get you are led by this thing. You God says, forget about it. The center of wisdom has been removed from your brain. That's it. God said there is a planting of cheap or zero zero foolishness file that has been planted. That's what God says. He said you cannot be. He said listen to me. He says the out, the outcome of that wine, what is producing, is going to produce some. It's going to produce something that people will mock in your life. God is saying this. God is saying this. So you say, well, I don't agree with it. God is not saying this because He has the business that is competing with the brewery. He doesn't have any self interest. God is saying this for your own good, for my own good. Someone said, well, but it's hard. I used to be very, very major in the beauty thing. I tell you this, this listen. In 1992, a beauty was introducing a new drink to the area I lived in. It was a Nigerian beauty. It was called Legend Stout. I was a poster boy for it. They asked around the area, who are some of the people that are really, really passionate about stuff? And then they, some of them picked me. I was, I was passionate. You know anything I do, I want to be passionate. I was very passionate. I don't like drinking. How can you drink and you're able to walk on the straight line? What kind of drinking is that? If you drink, then you should, you should, you should, you should zigzag. I just drink, I drink, I zigzag. Well, that's what we used to do with our friends. We call it zigzagging. You drink and you zigzag. So they said, this boy, this boy. I mean, all, all, name all the clubs, name all the joints where I grew up. There, everybody knew me. I was a poster boy for this thing. We were people that we tested that we were the influencers, the early adopters. They brought it to us, free. I was very happy. <laughs> I didn't know that this thing, it produces mockers. <laughs> so, but I stopped the thing. I stopped nicotine. It's possible. It's very possible, very possible. Very possible. Very possible. So stop it. You just have to, the, first, the place where it starts for me is to first agree that God is right. Some people don't agree. They're fighting God. They say, ah, you can't be, I, I, can't, I don't believe that. Uh, just agree. Thank you, Jesus. This is the end of the message. We are sure that you have been blessed. For more information, please visit our website at www.houseofpraise.ca. God bless you.